morning, everyone. It's a, a great day. I'm excited about what the Lord has in store. For those of you who don't know, uh, my family and I were the, out of town uh, last week. You probably read it in the back of the bulletin, but we traveled down to Galveston to uh, a family reunion and had a great time. But we were also anxious, pretty anxious to get back uh, for the memorial at the maze. Uh, that was a big event for us in the life of our church. And even though I did conveniently arrive just slightly after my assigned time in the dunk tank. I don't know if y'all realize that. So maybe next year, but uh, it really was uh, great to see such a good turnout. We had a ton of people, a ton of families, and it was so encouraging. Julie reminded us uh, that uh, it had been a while since we'd come together as a church family because uh, you remember last year, our big Joyland family trip was canceled because of lightning, and then our big Thanksgiving dinner, which is the highlight of my year, uh, was canceled because of uh, weather, ice and snow and that kind of stuff. And so it had been a while. Um, but I think we made up for it. There was a great turnout and everybody had a great time. Uh, just a special thanks to the students who uh, really helped pull this thing off. They were involved in uh, all the activities with the kids and uh, did a super job. And there were a lot of people who worked behind the scenes to make that thing happen. And special thanks to Jason for helping lead the way and uh, really pull off what I think was a significant event in the life of our church. Um, as we celebrated God's faithfulness in and through the people who are a part of, of Melanie Park. So, very, very grateful for that. Um, and I'm grateful just to be on the receiving end of that um, love. You, uh, I've always felt like you can always uh, kind of determine the health of a body of believers by how well they fellowship with one another. And from what I observed last weekend, you guys are doing well. Uh, there's a lot of love that's going around, and I know that because I'm on the receiving end of it. So, thank you. Um, but this is a great day. There are some incredible things that we're going to walk through together. We'll be celebrating baptisms at the end of the service. And uh, I know that your heart's going to be touched by the testimony of those lives that have been transformed. In fact, a lot of what you will see, I'm going to uh, fold into what I'll look at this morning. Their testimonies really fit perfectly with the message of Proverbs. And you'll get to see that uh, firsthand. As we'll see together, as we look at our passage, Solomon is going to encourage us to live an undivided life. A life devoted to the truth of God's Word. A life committed to trusting in the Lord in a way that brings glory and honor to His name. We will see that revealed in our passage this morning, and then we're going to see it displayed in the testimonies of those who are being baptized. And so, let me encourage you to take this in. This is going to be a sweet, sweet morning. And there's going to be some great things that God communicates through His Word and through His people, and you don't want to miss it. You want to listen. And you want to open your heart to what God has to say because I believe He speaks to us through His Word and through His people, and you don't want to miss it. So let me just pray for us that that would be our heart, that we would be sensitive to what God has in store, and we would be changed because of it. So let's pray together. Father, we do come to you this morning and we anticipate the promise fulfilled of you speaking to your people through the truth of your word and the testimony of changed lives. That's your promise. That's what you said would be true. And so we trust in that promise and we look expectantly for how you will look into our heart, speak into our lives, and, and offer us the opportunity to live in accordance with your design. 
And so I pray this morning that we would be willing to do that. And whatever distractions surround us that would pull us away from that, whatever's capturing our attention that would draw us away from that, Lord, would you please clear that now? Help us set our mind on one thing. That love that we just sing about that never fails, fails, never gives up, never fades away. Father, may we center our hearts on you. And this is our prayer this morning. Amen. Well, I've tried to consistently remind you as we've gone through Proverbs that this is a, um, a book that's describing a conversation, really, between a father and a son, the wise counsel of the father that he's giving lovingly to his son. And so let's kind of pick up where we left off last, chapter 3, verse 1, and we'll see what this father now says to his son in verse 1. It says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. As you read those first couple of verses, I hope they sound familiar. They should echo what we know to be true of the fifth commandment that Moses spoke to the people of Israel. Honor your mother and father. God's design is for children to obey their parents, not out of guilt, not just to get their way, but because in honoring their parents, they honor God. And in the same way, in dishonoring their parents, kids, you need to understand, you dishonor God. Because in God's design, He set up this institution of the family with a specific reason in mind, and it was to draw us to Himself. And the reality is, guys and girls, if you can't learn to live under the authority of your parents, willingly submitting to their counsel and direction for your life, what makes you think that you're going to be able to do that in your relationship with God? It's there for a purpose. To, to help you learn to live under the loving authority of your parents so that you can then learn to live under the loving authority of your God, to be in a right relationship with Him. It's important because it's repeated all throughout Scripture. One of the passages that we've actually looked at before is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. And if we look at this, and I'll read it here in a minute, you're going to see that it's an echo of what Solomon just said in verses 1 and 2 of our passage. Paul, when he's writing, says, Children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. And then he goes on to say, which is the first commandment with a promise. And then he explains, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Now I want you to think about that because isn't that what Solomon just said? Look again at verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. And then look, here's the promise. For length of days and years of life, and peace they will add to you. This is a call to obedience. He's encouraging children to follow the counsel of their parents as their parents lead them toward a life of faith. Because parents, it's your turn now, our ultimate goal is to clear a path both in what we say and how we live 
that introduces our kids to what it means to have a walk with Jesus Christ, a faithful relationship with Him. Because ultimately, that's the only way the promise of this peace is fulfilled, is through that relationship. They're not going to get it anywhere else. And so if we love our kids, then we're going to lead them to that place where that promise of peace is fulfilled. As we've talked in recent weeks, that role of parents in the discipleship of their kids is intended to be a partnership within the church body that, they are committed, that they've committed themselves to. Partnering together to raise up the next generation of Christian disciples. That's the design of God. And choosing to live outside of that design is forfeiting what God promises to be the blessing within that design. In recent weeks... Um, been able to experience. <laughs> oh, I knew this was coming. But I want to tell you something that's very personal to me because what I just spoke about has happened in my own home. Grant has asked for a couple of years now, Dad, I want to be baptized. Now, he's a little bit of a disadvantage because he's the son of a pastor, right? And so I'm going to quiz him. And we're going to talk about this a lot because I want to make sure he has an understanding of what this is all about. And he's not just repeating things that he hears me say, right? I want to know what's in his heart. But this particular day, he came to me and he says, Dad, I want to be baptized. I said, Grant, that's really great. Tell me why. He says, because I believe in God. I said, that's really good. That's important. I said, but Grant, there are people who believe in God, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're Christians. I said, like, like the Jewish people, they, they believe in God. And he interrupted me and immediately said, yeah, they believe in the Old Testament, but not the New Testament. And I was like, that's really good. And so I asked him, I said, so what's so special about the New Testament? And he said, Jesus. And he got real quiet and, uh, um, like me, loses his composure. But he, this is what he said. He said, Dad, do you remember that lamb? He said, that perfect lamb that didn't have a disease, it didn't have any broken bones, it was perfect. You remember when they put their hands on that lamb and it was the sins of the people? He said, yeah. He said, Jesus was that lamb. I said, you're right. And then I said, Grant, whose sin was on Jesus? Tears rolling down his face. He said, mine. said, you're right. And he paid the price, didn't he? And we had a great conversation. I said, Grant, I want you to just take some time to talk to God. Tell him what's on your heart. I'm not going to tell you what to say. I want you to speak to him. The first words out of his mouth were, Jesus, will you save me? Here's what I want you to understand about that story. We didn't tell him that. Now, we've talked about the gospel. We've talked about what it means to have faith in Christ. But we've never described it in those terms. He got that from you. He got it from you, not from us. That's the partnership of what you have done to join with me and my family, to lead my son 
to a place where he understands what it means to trust in Christ. That's what it looks like. And that is our ultimate goal. You see, Jesus wants us to be whole. He wants us to find that peace and forgiveness in him. And then Solomon goes on to describe that. He wants us to take that faith with us wherever we go so that it, 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 in, it invades every aspect of our life. It's why it says in verse 3, look at that again. It says, Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. That word for kindness in our passage is my favorite Hebrew word. Okay? It's the word hesed. Okay? We're going to say that together. You have to say it with a little bit of, like you've got something in your mouth. Okay? Hesed. Everybody say that. Hesed. Okay, that's a great word. Now you know Hebrew. That word means loyal love. And it's a word that's used repeatedly throughout Scripture to describe God's covenant love for his people. Hesed. And that word that he uses in verse 3 for truth describes a faithful commitment. And so Solomon is describing here a heart that is undivided. A person who's loyal in their love and faithful in their commitment because they do not let kindness and truth leave them. But with that being said, let me ask you this. How exactly do kindness and truth leave you? Do they just decide one day to get up and walk away from you? No, of course not. They're, they're character traits. They're things within you. So the only way that these traits leave you is if you walk away from them. If you don't take them with you. If they don't invade every aspect of your life you set them aside in exchange for something else, a life that you live divided. Solomon says, tie them around your neck so they don't leave you. They always are with you. As you hear that, I want you to think of of a beautiful necklace that someone might wear. It represents the beauty of what people see on the outside. Or as the verse says, the good reputation that you have before men. And then writing on your heart talks about what's on the inside, right? Your, your convictions, your beliefs, things you know to be true. It says, write them on your heart. And it says in verse 4 that you might have good favor in the sight of God. Why? Because only He knows what's on your heart. But the point is this. So that together what you see on the outside matches what's on the inside. What you believe matches how you behave. That there's integrity in your life and they're not divided from one another. And walking in this truth is what ultimately leads us to a relationship with a person. We see that in the following verses. Look at verse 5 with me. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord Turn away from evil, and it will be healing to your body, refreshment to your bones. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Acknowledge Him in all your ways. 
is what leads to an undivided faith. Solomon explains it by way of contrast. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart as contrasted with leaning on your own understanding. Because Solomon is not encouraging us here to, to make uninformed decisions, what we might call blind faith. He's telling us to live an undivided faith. And let me explain what that looks like. A divided faith is one that says, God, these are the things that I need your help with, and these are the things that I can handle on my own. This is the part of my life that I I dedicate to worship. This is where I'm faithful to, to be at church and do those things. But this is where I'm devoted to other things, and they don't cross over. It's a division between the sacred and the secular. God's part and my part. And divided faith always has a backup plan. <laughs> a plan B in case God doesn't come through or He begins to direct me in a place that, that I don't want to go. That's a divided faith. And this is something that I've actually had to confront in my own life many times, but there's one time in particular that stands out. When I was making the decision to leave the medical field to come and be on staff as the pastor here at Melanie Park, um, I made a decision at that time that I would maintain my physical therapy license. I had worked hard for that, spent money, spent my parents' money. <laughs> it was a big deal. Um, and so I just felt like at the time it made good sense that I should keep my license current even as I served here. But then the Lord began to work in my heart. And I started to realize that keeping my license was really a safety net. It was a backup plan. Plan B to minimize the risk of stepping out of faith. And I think the Lord really got my attention and and revealed to me this is a divided faith. And He knew that a divided faith would not endure. Because when things get tough, you jump ship when your faith is divided. Because you're not all in. And I knew that He was right. And so I believe the Lord called me to a place where He asked me the question, either you be all in or don't do it. And so I let it go. I am unlicensed, so don't ask me any physical therapy advice. I can't give it to you. But what I want you to understand about this is that it has put me in a position where I have to trust in the Lord and all that I do Because the truth of the matter is, I wasn't convinced that I was qualified in the first place. That I could do what he was asking me to do. And so I live dependently on his ability to equip me for what I'm convinced he's called me to do. And every week I have to wake up and begin the process of putting my trust in him again. And he's faithful. Because here's the reality. If you can't trust God with everything, can you really trust Him at all? If you can't trust Him with everything, can you really trust Him at all? If there's anything you're holding back, can you really honestly say that you've given it all to God? Because listen, if there's any possibility that He could possibly fail, we're all doomed. You realize that, right? Because the message of the gospel centers on the reality that everything 
is on Him. Our salvation rests solely and completely on the mercy of God. Either Jesus paid it all, or we don't have a chance. Period. That's the message of the Gospel. The writer of Hebrew puts it this way. He says, We have been made holy by the sacrifice of Jesus. Listen, paid once for all. A sacrifice sufficient for the forgiveness of all sins for all time. In other words, it's all on Him. Either Jesus paid it all, or we don't have a chance. This is a transaction where we contribute nothing. And then in return... We get everything. It's what I call the great exchange. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. And not a result of works that anyone would boast. You contribute nothing. And yet God in His grace gives you everything. Brandy Kreitz is one of the folks getting baptized this morning. Where's Brandy? There she is. Brandy and at the time her fiancé, Stephen, came to see me about a year ago. And they wanted to talk to me about doing premarital counseling. I didn't know Brandy and Stephen very well, so we sat down to visit a little bit about what they were hoping for and looking for. And So one of the things I asked them to do is just talk about their relationship with Christ, how they came to faith. In that conversation, um, I was concerned in hearing, uh, and particularly from Brandy, that there wasn't a clear understanding of what that looks like. So we spent some time talking about that, and as we did, we had a great conversation, but one of the things I communicated to to Brandy and Stephen during that visit was that I couldn't, in good conscience, stand before them in performing a marriage without the certainty that they understood how that marriage had to be built upon a relationship with Jesus Christ. And they were gracious. We had a good visit, but then they left my office, and I didn't hear from them again until a few weeks ago when Brandy called me and said, I want to get baptized. Now, this was before any of the announcements had been made about us doing baptisms today. And so I was like, well, that's interesting. (laughs) Why don't you come in and let's talk about it? So Brandy came into my office and she went on to explain to me that day that the conversation we had in my office several months ago has changed her life because she couldn't get the thought out of her mind that what was happening in her life was that she wasn't fully committed to following Christ. She was still in control. She was leaning on her own understanding. And she came to my office that day and as clearly as I've ever heard it, said, I don't want to be in control anymore. I want my life to be fully devoted to following Christ. I understand that I need His forgiveness And I want to trust in Him to do for me what I cannot do for myself. And in her sweet way said, and I think baptism is one of the things that I should do in response to that. And I said, you're absolutely right. God, in grace, led her to a place where she understood that great transaction, where she contributed nothing and yet received everything. Brandy, by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift from God and not by works that anyone should boast. And that's what we're striving for. She contributed nothing. 
but she received everything. This is how a life in Christ begins, by this attitude of complete surrender, but we need to understand it's how it continues as well. You may remember the words of Paul when he spoke to the Galatians. He said, don't be foolish. He said, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? In other words, did you surrender to God in salvation and then somehow figure it out on your own from there? Is that how this works? He says, that's crazy talk. Don't be foolish. Solomon says essentially the same thing. Trust in the Lord with some of your understanding, in all of your ways, with all of your understanding. Don't lean on your own understanding. Trust in Him. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Live humbly in worshipful submission to Him. Live with an undivided faith. Solomon is ultimately describing that daily decision of surrender. Putting your faith and trust in Him. So instead of a divided faith that that kind of separates the sacred and the secular, things that I can do on my own and things that I need God's help with, it's a faith that follows the testimony of Scripture that says, apart from you, I can do what? Nothing. Total surrender. Instead of drawing that line between the sacred and the secular, it sees all of life ultimately as an act of worship. A daily decision of surrender. A decision to live life in a way that is fully committed to following Christ. I believe that promise of healing and refreshment, look at verse 8. That promise of healing and refreshment is not some sort of miraculous good health. Because I know a lot of godly people who live with the reality of some very debilitating diseases. Instead, I believe this is the ongoing redemption of sin's destruction when we continue to surrender our life to the Lord. It could be a broken marriage, a broken family, maybe a habit that you just can't break. But learning to trust in His forgiveness and grace is what restores what sin has destroyed. It's what spurs us on to love and good deeds. Learning to trust in the Lord is what brings redemption in your life. And that's what I believe Solomon is talking about. It's the redemption I think Paul had in mind when he said, outwardly our body is decaying, right? But inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And as we'll see next, that happens in times of plenty and in times of pain. Look at verse 9. It says, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe His reproof. For whom the Lord loves, He reproves, even as a father, the son in whom He delights. In this section, Solomon is describing the devotion that is present in times of of plenty and in times of pain. And he begins with with times of plenty because I think these are the times when we get pretty comfortable. We kind of sit back and and faith becomes minimal. And let me explain to you and help you understand that this is not talking about being rich. Okay, This is having enough of the resources to pay for the necessities of life. That's what's in mind here. That's the wealth that's intended to be seen. 
And so Solomon instructs us to honor the Lord by giving of our first fruits. Now, you and I read that and it may not mean as much to us, but in the time of, of the, the, the time that this was written and the audience that he was speaking to, the Israelites knew this well. This was a part of their culture. As an agrarian society, they understood clearly what it meant to give their first fruits. But somehow, we've interpreted this within our own culture to mean something different. We see this as the instruction to give God a portion of what we've earned. And then we usually debate on whether that's 8% or 10%, whether that's gross or net. We do the math and we determine the difference between our income and our living expenses and then we kind of barter over what we give to God and what we keep for ourselves. And let's be honest, is that really first fruits? Really, is that, is that what it looks like? The heart behind first fruits is not giving God a portion of what you own. It's giving Him the best of all you have. See the difference? In fact, how radical would it be if we actually began with giving as much as we possibly could and then choosing to live simply on whatever was left? How radical would that be? But in case that's too strong, let me put it to you this way. What if we spent more time determining how to maximize our giving than we do in maximizing our savings? What if... What would it look like? You see, I think when it comes to honoring God with our wealth in the culture of excess we live in, we don't get it. We've got it backwards. Let me explain it to you this way. Let's say we're a part of a family-owned business, okay? We're all a part of this business together. Let's call this business the Gospel Project, okay? Are you with me? That's the business, It was started by our Heavenly Father. And His desire is to see this business expand to the uttermost parts of the world. Are you with me? And so, as a member of His family, as a child of God, He's given you a certain amount of resources. And He's intended that you use those resources in a way that takes that message to the uttermost parts of the world. You are an ambassador for this business. So that everything you do is intended to leverage that message of salvation to the world. Now, if that's the way we look at it, you tell me, are we really that concerned about percentages? Are we more concerned about what we keep for ourselves or what we give away for the cause of Christ? I think that's what is intended here when we're talking about this idea of first fruits. Not giving him a portion of what we've earned, but giving him the best of all we have. And first, so that everything else submits to what you've given for the cause that you've been called to take. Solomon goes on to explain. When this is the attitude of our hearts, he says that our barns will be filled And our vats will overflow. And I want you to know very clearly, this is not a promise of prosperity. You know what it is? It's a promise of provision. What Solomon is saying here is, give as much as you want, because you'll never be able to outgive God. 
His ability to provide for you far exceeds your ability to give it away. That's what this verse is talking about. Now, it takes faith to live that way, doesn't it? (laughs) That's the point. That's the point. It's that heart that ensures that your devotion is not divided, even in times of plenty. But then he talks about times of pain. And I want to look at those verses again. Look at verse 11. It says, My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father, the son in whom he delights. See, it's easy to, to, to give God praise when things are good. But what does your devotion look like when life goes bad? When things get hard? Is your devotion divided? Is your commitment contingent upon your circumstances? This verse speaks specifically about God's reproof, His correction. It equates God's discipline as an evidence of God's love. Like a father who delights in his son. God is unwilling to let you go your own way. If our life is headed in the wrong direction, God will use any means necessary to get our attention. Because He loves us too much to let us go our own way. He understands that the worst possible thing that could ever happen in your life is for you to take matters into your own hands. It's the worst possible thing that could ever happen. So He'll do things in our life to gain our attention. And nothing gets our attention more than the presence of pain. But in that pain, verse 11 says you have a decision to make. You can either blame God or you can trust God. You can either reject Him or you can run to Him. Your choice is a reflection of your faith. How you respond is determined by what you believe. More specifically, what you believe about God. Because if God really is that loving Father as this passage talks about, if He's truly in control, then that means I can trust Him, not with some things, but with everything. Both in times of plenty and in times of pain to accomplish His good and perfect will. There is no situation outside of His power to redeem. God will never give up on you. You can only give up on Him. Now, sometimes that pain does come in the form of discipline, like our passage talks about. And I don't know about you, but I'm pretty clear when there's compromise in my life. I know when it's happening, and I know when God is getting my attention for those reasons. But I also admit that there are times that uh, i got no explanation. I'm in a difficult situation, and honestly, I don't know why. I can't make sense of it. But I truly believe that even in those times, we still have the same choice. To either trust God or to blame God. To either run to Him or to run away from Him. Even when I'm in a situation where there are, there, there are experiences that I can't explain, The choice is the same. Trust or blame. Casey and Karen Davis are here this morning. They're both going to be baptized. They know uh, what this is about. Because not too recent past, they walked through the unimaginable pain of losing a child. 
And they had a decision in the midst of that terrible pain to either trust God or to blame God, to run from Him or to run to Him. And I want you to know that I've been privileged to have a first row seat and watch both Casey and Karen run into the loving arms of their Heavenly Father, trusting in the promises of God even during times when there was no satisfying answer. They believed, as we talked together, they expressed to me their understanding of how that love for them was demonstrated on the cross when Jesus gave his life for them. And they knew that if that was the love that he had for them, then they could trust him, even in things that they could not understand. Because he's good. He's faithful. And he'll work all things to accomplish his good and perfect will. I really want you to take these things to heart this morning. I want you to consider Solomon's call not to live a divided life. I want you to ask yourself, is that true for me? Am I allowing God's Word to guide my life? Or do I rely on my own understanding and the opinions of others to justify my decisions? I mean, we've all been there. The question is, are you there now? Because let me be honest with you. If you are following the direction of people who are not committed to the truth of God's Word in the community of His people, it's bad advice. It's bad advice. Because there's only one place to go if you want to know what's true. And that is in His Word through His people. So you just need to ask yourself, is that where I'm living? Because... We live in the Bible Belt, so we know all the right answers. The question is, does what we believe match our behavior? Does what we believe match how we behave, right? And so let me ask you to do this. Consider if you're working in a full commitment to the Lord or are you relying on a backup plan? And most importantly, are you in that backup plan right now? Are you functioning in plan B because God somehow didn't come through or you wanted to take you in a direction you were unwilling to go. Are you functioning in plan B? Taking matters in your own hands. Just be honest with ourselves. I mean, the Lord really brought me to that place and brings me there consistently. And the question is this. Either you trust Him with everything or you don't trust Him at all. Either you trust Him with everything or you don't trust Him at all. Because what your lack of trust, that undivided faith says, I don't think He can come through. I'm not sure he can handle this part. And that's not the God of the universe who created all things and is sovereignly in control to accomplish his good and perfect will. That's not him. So trust him with everything. Learn to live with a decision of daily surrender. Fully committed to following Christ, both in times of plenty and in times of pain. You can, you can play the game. And there's a lot of people that do. And there's a lot of people in the church that do. And I, I, I've been there. And I think I str- will struggle with this for the rest of my life. To live that divided life, right? But here's the reality that we've all got to come to understand. The life where we are in control 
will always destroy the life that God promises when you put your trust in Him. Because that promise is contingent upon your surrender. And so the only way we experience the fullness of what God intends is if we've given it all. No strings attached. So this morning when we see the baptisms, that's what you're going to see. I've talked to these people. I've lived lives with them. Casey and Karen, Brandy, my own son, and all the others. I know that this is the decision to be all in, fully committed to following Christ. That's what we're celebrating. So let me close with just some words that uh, Paul wrote to the Colossians. And uh, this would be my prayer for you as well. So bow your heads and let's pray. I pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the endurance of faith patience and joy given thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. He has delivered you from the dominion of darkness, transferred you to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You are an ambassador for Christ. May your life be a living testimony of God's loving redemption. May your life be undivided. It's in the name of Jesus Christ who gave us everything, even though we contributed nothing because of his incomparable love and grace. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.